Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Shaw area. And I guess I should keep calling it. I, I, sometimes I call it X. Sometimes I don't. And when I'm watching sports shows, the Rich Eisen sports show, they call it X. The Dan Patrick uh, sports show still calls it Twitter. So I don't know. Uh, so I just, up until everyone actually calls it X, I'll probably call it both or sometimes just Twitter. So anyways. All right. So it is officially election Election season, election time. We understand this. And we've got until, I believe, November 7th, which is the election. It is odd number of years are for election days, or excuse me, for local elections. Even number of years are generally state and federal elections. And they do that on purpose because they say, okay, we don't want particularly necessarily maybe what they might consider an unfair advantage to one particular party or the other during a presidential election, a senatorial election, during a congressional election that would bring out people that might not normally vote. Now, that's that's one side of the argument. The other side of the argument would be, well, don't you want as many people voting as humanly possible for your local elections? And so those are the two sides of the arguments that you always get. And if you held every election in even number of years, there would be no elections during the, the odd number of years, which not a lot of people also would be upset with. Like, hey, if we were going to vote, let's just get it all over and done with in one fell swoop, and we'll come back in two years and see how it's going. But the local elections, they tend to be, obviously, extremely low turnouts when compared to state and federal elections. Sometimes half as many people, sometimes only a third as many people show up, if that. Sometimes a quarter of the same amount of people will show up to vote. So of the four people that, or the three people that voted during the Senate and presidential election, one might only show up to vote during the local election. Now, in this particular area, which is very, very, very hard Democrat in Charlotte, and Mecklenburg County. Well, Brett, what about Cornelius and Huntersville and Mint Hill and Pineville? That, that's great. Some of those towns split. And it's very possible that Huntersville has a Democrat mayor. Now, would they have a Democrat mayor if there weren't two Republicans running? Who knows? Probably not. It would probably be a Republican mayor. But you've got two Republicans running against one Democrat. Republicans split the vote. How's it going, Ross Perot? How you doing? So, with all that being said, there are going to be some local elections that are going to be very relevant. Waxall. How many of the Waxall wall can get into office? By the way, I've had people actually email me still from Waxall. And one candidate actually emailed me, a person from the wall. I'm not going to say who it is, but a person of the wall, one of the wall candidates emailed me. And there were untruths, misinformation, half-truths put in that email that I know is factually incorrect or factually stated wrong. 
or trying to be factually misleading about their stance and things that are happening. And I know this to be like actual facts because I talk to a lot of different people, a lot of different people. And no, I haven't spoken to anyone currently on the, the county commission or the city the city commissioners or the town commissioners or the mayor, I told you, when I did that debate a week and a half ago, I had never heard of any of those people there. I had never heard their names. I had, not, had no idea who the mayor of Waxhaw was or their town commissioners. Didn't even know they were called town commissioners. I thought they were ta- called city council members. Same thing up in Huntersville. Uh, yeah, Huntersville, you know who the mayor is. I knew who John Anarella was, and I had heard of the current mayor, but... Had you asked me on the spot, named the mayor of Huntersville, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. And I also didn't know they were ta- called town commissioners up there either, as opposed to city council and county commissioners. But in Mecklenburg County, there's, a, there's only a couple of races, excuse me, in Charlotte proper, because it's so hard Democrat, Baltimore, Memphis, St. Louis, New Orleans, Minneapolis, because it's so hard Democrat that you're only going to get, you have no Republicans on the county commissioners. You haven't had a Republican on the county commission since 2018, I think it is. I think. Maybe 2019. And about 30% of Mecklenburg County is a registered Republican, and they don't have a single representative on the county commissioners, and they have it for about four years, maybe five. If Tark Bakari loses, and that's the big race, and by the way, Tark Bakari will be in studio with me for a full hour tomorrow night, in studio, District 6, City Council. If Tark Bakari loses, Ed Driggs will be the only person on the city council, that's a Republican. Again, you constantly have different groups saying they need to be represented. Constantly. We're not represented enough. We're not represented enough. Well, no one really seems to care when the roles are reversed, be it ethnically or how you identify as a party, uh, what, what, what party you identify as, be it po- Republican or Democrat. And you're getting to the point where unaffiliated is catching the Democrats in terms of Mecklenburg and Charlotte. Now, will it matter? Probably not. Probably not. People still go, well, I'm moderate. Really? When's the last time you voted for a Republican? I mean, that's, that's, that's always the question that I ask. I'll ask women that. I'll ask men that. When's the last time you voted Republican? Well, you know, I'm sort of independent. I'm down the middle. Really? When's the last time you voted Republican? When's the last time that happened? So, anyways, but there's going to be some local elections going on, and we're going to start looking into some of them. There's also going to be some congressional elections. What's going to happen out there in District 9 slash 8, which is going to be Union County, maybe bleeds into some of Mecklenburg County, goes down and towards Bladen and Anson, what's going to happen over there in the county, congressional county, with you know Cleveland County and Gaston County, and I mean, there's a lot going on. 
in terms of the congressional districts, which could be decided as late as or as early as Wednesday night or Thursday, these lines will be voted on. And then on top of that, the, the very second that they're approved up in Raleigh, Mark Elias, who I personally find to be one of the most loathsome human beings on the planet. All you need to know is that he was one of the lawyers with Hillary Clinton's camp, campaign, or campaign, one of the people associated with her campaign, the place where he worked and everything else. All that, Hillary Clinton and Mark Elias, Mark Elias and Hillary Clinton. He was the one that, you know, got uh, Mark Harris removed from his winning election back in, I think it was February of, I want to say January, January or February of 2019 against Dan McCready. Mark Elias has already said, again, Russiagate, remember that? Remember that old Russiagate thing? I believe it was his law firm or the law firm that he's associated with that helped put all that out there? I believe that's the case. Allegedly so, at least. At least that's the allegations that are made. But... He, from everything I've heard, the moment the up in Raleigh, the House and the Senate approved the new district lines, from everything that I've been told, he's already got the lawsuit filed and ready to go. He's just going to hit the send button. So he doesn't like. He, he's just he's just waiting. No matter what the lines are, suing, we're suing. Now he's going to try and get that in federal court, and I don't know. I can tell you the North Carolina General Assembly and the North Carolina Senate believe they have a good case to keep it in state court. Since state court, they're home free. If it goes to federal court, that could be an issue for the North Carolina House and the North Carolina Senate in terms of these lines. But they're going to have to do something fast because you're supposed to file in December. Unless you're going to push the primaries back like you did a few years ago after the census and push it back into, what, July and then turn around and have your general election in November just a few months later. Is that what you're going to do? I don't know. So anyways, but we're going to get into some other things when we come back. But it is full-time election season, and we're going to look at some of the races when we come back. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on Breaking with Brett Jensen. Okay, so let's look at a couple of races for the rest of the night. And we're going to really try and break some of these down. And we'll get into some of the Huntersville stuff in a minute. But what I, the first thing I want to do is talk about District 6 in Charlotte. It's the only city council race that matters. It's the only. Well, I take that back. District 3 actually also matters. Because if District 3 elects Tijuana Brown... That means you're going to actually have a convicted felon on the city council. She can't legally even vote for herself, but yet she's going to be voting on what to do for the city of Charlotte. So there's that. There's that. Um, And she's running against James Bowers. And I met James and his wife at a luncheon last Friday. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to play his interview uh, in a little bit tonight about this particular situation. But 
so we'll talk about District 3 in a moment. But let's talk about District 6. That's the heavy and highly contested one. District 6 is Tark Bakari, incumbent, Republican, going against Stephanie Hand, Democrat. Tark Bakari won a couple years ago by, I think it was last year, July, I think was the, because they had like the wonky elections and all that because of the census and things weren't on time and all that. I think he won by basically 350 votes is what it was. It was like give or take, but it was like right around 350, maybe 380, maybe 330, whatever it was, but it was right around 350 votes. And I remember covering that thinking, Tark's about to lose because when they released the initial, because at 7.30, when the polls drop at, stop at 7.30, all the early voting and absentee ballots, absentee ballots are immediately released right there because they're already tabulated. And they're released right there on that spot. And then it's the rest of the night that comes in. And Stephanie Hand had a massive lead after early voting. And then every single precinct that started coming in, Tark Bakari kept catching her and catching her and catching her. And then finally um, surpassed her and won by, like I said, 350 votes in District 6 to remain one of two Republicans on the city council. So Stephanie Hand is running again, and she thinks that she has a better chance of catching Tark this time, and she very well may. There are more Democrats that have moved into District 6. South Park area, Myers Park area, uh, going south. That's the District 6 area. It's a big district. And so, but more Democrats have moved in. But here's the caveat to all that. Those moving into the area are young Democrats. And young Democrats and young Republicans and young independents don't vote. Especially in non-presidential, non-Senate years. They couldn't tell you the first person on a, on a school board. Couldn't tell you, one person on a school board. A 25-year-old that just moved here from Indiana or a 25-year-old that just moved here from Philadelphia, you think they're going to be able to tell you about somebody on the school board or the county commissioners or the city council? They have no idea. Now, they'll go to the polls and vote when it's time to vote for a Senate, a congressman, or a president, like next November. Yeah, they'll all come out. Well, not all, but like a high percentage. If they get around 5 or 6% of the young people, if they, the 25, 26 and younger, if they stay home, which they almost always, always, always do, then Tarkin has another chance to win. But the district is actually turning blue because of the young people moving there because of the apartments that are going up in that area. And younger people tend to live in apartments, not houses. Because they can't afford a house. So what do they do? They rent an apartment, either solo or they have roommates. So a lot of it's going to be determined on how many of the young people turn out, but also how many of the Republicans actually go out and vote. Are you going to have an 80% turnout by the Republicans in that district, which tend to be older? And older people tend to vote. They always do. Even on little sorry elections like this. Now, what may help? actually bring people to the polls, maybe, is the fact that you've got a $2.5 billion school bond that's up for vote. And I firmly believe it's going to pass. I have no reason to believe it's not going to pass. You've got Republicans and Democrats endorsing this thing. 
And the most interesting thing is you've got the Black Political Caucus that is endorsing it and the African-American Faith Alliance, all the black preachers and ministers that are against it. And I find that very interesting. So we're going to have, again, Tark Bakari in the show, or excuse me, in the studio tomorrow night for the full hour. And when we come back, I'm going to play you my interview with James Bowers, District 3. And it's only a few minutes long. And then we're also going to talk about the Huntersville situation and a couple other places. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen, 704-570-1110. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. All right, so look, late last week, I believe it was Friday, I was at a luncheon, and there were a lot of candidates there. And it was a political thing, and I was just there sort of covering it and a chance to talk to people running for Congress, people running for city council, people running for various things. And not just Mecklenburg County, but in other counties as well. And I ran across James Bowers and his wife. And I had been wanting to talk to him. And it just so happened that he was there. And I didn't know he was going to be there. And he came up to me after the luncheon and uh, talked to me and introduced himself and his lovely wife. And they could not be nicer people. And so I wanted to talk to him about running in District 3 against Tijuana Brown. It's a major uphill battle. He's in an African-American community. He is African-American. His wife is African-American. And he's running against an African-American in Tijuana Brown, who is a convicted felon. And I believe served four years in federal prison. And so I just wanted to talk to him about the uphill battle that he faces because it is primarily a Democrat uh, district. But why does he think he has a chance? And what does he think about his opponent? So what are your thoughts about running against a woman who can't even vote? Well, you know, that decision will be up to the voters. Um, what I'd like to do is concentrate on what we have to do. And it always, it really matters who you put in office. It's just like it matters when you go to the operating room. You wouldn't want someone graduated from high school to do brain surgery unless he had the experience, unless he had some credential. So it really matters who you put in office. When the public looks at their uh, candidates' uh, history, they want to see what, what do they think the future is going to bring with that particular candidate. That's what I'm hoping they'll see in me. So outside of never having spent time in jail, which I assume is correct, Yes. Uh, um, what are the prior? What are the main differences between the two of you? Um, the main difference is, of course, I've known Charlotte, working as a mentor of a six to twelve year old group, uh, the project manager of a nonprofit. That responsibility to help our church pay off their debt, which they did. I've been in the uh, mortgage industry for twenty years in finance, financing affordable homes. Um, in the automobile business, financing automobile uh, purchases for those that are worthy. So, the, as I said before, the nuances of understanding business and what and how money is used in the city, that's important. Uh, my opponent says experience doesn't matter. It really does matter. Uh, when you're talking to very, very intelligent people like those that are represented in the city council, you want to be able to connect with them and be able to, to iterate to them clearly what your position is. 
I don't think that they are so uh, inclined to disagree with you if your point is clear and you're passionate about it. I'm for District 3, and that's what I'm going to do. You know District 3 is going to be difficult for a Republican or an unaffiliated person to win. What makes you think that you have a chance, or why do you think you have a chance, going into this particular race? Oh, that's a great question. Well, when I started my campaign, I spoke to everyone in my campaign that we are going to reach everyone. Not just Republicans, not just Democrats, not just blacks, not just whites, but also including the Asian community, the Latino community. And all of those things, and even the Democratic community. And so on my campaign now, there are two Democrats who are supporting me and endorsing me. And I've had insights from uh, those who've been on city council before helping me that are also Democratic. Again, these are the kind of things you have to be as a leader. You have to be able to go across and reach across the aisle and have those that perhaps are not in the same party understand your point of view that it's not just about me. Don't look at me just as a Republican. Look at me as a leader who is going to be a leader of all the people. Because invariably, our job is not to legislate what's inside the House, but what's outside. And the law has balances and is supposed to be fair to everyone. So that is James Bowers that I spoke to earlier this, or I guess it was Friday afternoon, as a matter of fact. And Here's the thing that not not just James and it's not just because he's a Republican because the same thing happens with Democrats too. People who are running for office who've never been elected or haven't held a government position, you have no idea what type of candidate they're going to be or what type of an elected official they're going to be. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows that Patrick Cannon was going to get arrested for bribery charges by the FBI and and go to the penitentiary as the mayor of Charlotte. Nobody knew that. Nobody knew that Pat McCrory was going to get elected seven straight times and set a record for the most elections by a mayor in Charlotte history. A Republican, no less. Same thing with Vi Lyles. She could run and win seven straight times if she wanted to. Absolutely. With James Bowers, it's going to be very difficult. And it's the type of district where you have to do so much legwork and door knocking on every single door and mailers and everything else that, you know, it would it would cost a lot of money. Relatively speaking, for that particular type of race, more than usual for a city council race, like the type of money that's actually being spent in District six between Tark Picard and Stephanie Hand. But. Um, at that same point, you don't know what he's going to do if elected, but you know that he seems like a very nice and genuine person, and so does his wife. And so that would give you hope that just because someone's, you know, but I will say just because someone's a very nice person doesn't mean they're a good politician or a good representative. And just because someone's a good representative doesn't mean that they're a good person. They may be a horrible person, but a great representative. Like, you you don't know. But you would like to think that someone like James and his wife would be good people to be elected because they tend to be or are um, just very nice people. And I had never spoken to James, and our conversation lasted seven, eight minutes 10 minutes, and uh, I I left impressed. I left impressed. 
And so it'll be interesting to see. If, I, I will tell you this. If James can get 35% of the vote or 40% of the vote in that district, that's a major win. Even though technically it'll go down as a loss, if he can get 35 to 40% of that vote somewhere over there, somewhere above 35, that is a huge win. Huge win. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, but again, he's in a very, very difficult situation. Okay, when we come back, let's look at a couple other races before we head you off into the night. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen, going up until 8 o'clock, 704-570-1110. Okay, so Huntersville. Huntersville, Huntersville, Huntersville. First of all, I want to thank WSOC, and I want to thank the Shot Observer for giving me credit for uh, the Huntersville story that I broke about Derek Partee and the two town commissioner women writing the emails about him being in an aggressive situation. And they, while asking them in a mayoral forum, last Friday, um, actually you know, used me and used my name, I should say, and WBT's name about the story and gave us credit. So I, I do appreciate that from WSOC and the Shot Observer for um, giving us credit on that and not glossing over and just because a lot of times people will say, well, a report said without citing the place where the report came from, which I think you should always cite the place where the report came from. So if it's a singular report. So anyway, but thanks to uh, thanks to Joe Bruno and those guys uh, for doing that. Okay, so but speaking of Huntersville, there's a couple of things going on. Huntersville and Cornelius. I want to get to Cornelius first. There's a mayor race up there, and Woody Washam, he's the current mayor, and I can tell you I've never met a single person that dislikes Woody Washam, ever. I met him for the first time. Last October, during the election campaign, and he was happened to be at a precinct, a polling place, where I was going to do a story. I think I was doing a story on John Bradford or something. And he was there. And we talked. It was the first and only time I've ever met or spoken to the man. But everyone that I've ever spoken to before or after just really likes Woody Washam, the mayor up there. And he's the current mayor, and he's running against, uh, I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong, um, Billy Dow, Billy, Dennis Billy Adow, Billy Adow, I think, I think that's Billy Adow, I think that's how you say it. Um, anyway, he's the current, current town commissioner. And this is basically the first time that Woody, the current mayor, has had to face someone. And these are two Republicans battling for the same spot because a lot of times in towns, you don't have a D and an R beside their name. It's just whoever runs is running. You don't have primaries. Like Huntersville has two Republicans and one Democrat running for mayor. You didn't have a primary to weed them out and you just have one Republican and one Democrat facing off. This is just, you want to run, you can run. And they don't have the primary. So 
So you've got that coming in. Um, the mayor in Davidson is running unopposed. And there are basically five candidates running for commissioner seats, running for the commissioner of, for the five seats. So by default, they're all elected because they're all basically running unopposed. And Davidson will probably be 100% uh, Democrat. Okay. Cornelius, which is just on the other side of I-77, is the exact opposite. Like It's like I-77 splits them right down the middle. Splits them right down. It's pretty funny, actually. But that's what you expect in a small college town is to be very liberal. Small college towns are liberal all over the country. All over the country. It doesn't matter if you're in Mississippi, North Carolina, or New York, or California. Small college towns are generally liberal because that's where the professors live and everything else like that. So, but I do find that interesting. Oh, and do we have, let's see, Bill Doe. Bill Doe. I would say Dow. Okay, Bill Doe. All right. Thank you. I appreciate the heads up on that. Thank you. Um, yeah, so once again, let me just say his name. Dennis Billado. He's a town commissioner running for mayor against uh, Woody Washam up there in Cornelius. But then we get to Huntersville. We're just starting, coming right down I-77 in North Mech. And it's interesting because what they're doing now is they're sending out mailers. The Republicans are saying, your vote matters. And one of the things that I find interesting is is saying vote for these Republican candidates for Huntersville Commission. And it names the four people that they think you should vote for. And then there's another one that says don't let dangerous Democrat activists take over the town hall. And um, the funny thing is it says vote no on these liberal left-wing activists. Christy Clark, she's running for mayor. Amanda uh, Dumas. I, I actually interviewed her on this show during the Derek part. I think that's who I interviewed, right? Um, but then you've got Alicia uh, Bregman and Jennifer Hunt. And what I do find it funny is they don't tell you who to vote for in the mayoral race because there's two Republican candidates. And that is a problem. If you're trying to beat the lone Democrat, again, you're going to have a Ross Perot situation. If you don't have this political group actually saying vote for this specific candidate, they're going to split. Even if it's not 50-50 that they're going to split the Republican votes, even if they don't split it 50-50, but you may have someone get 60% to 40% or 70% to 30%. But that 30% could very well cost the other Republican or cost the other person an election and still elect the Democrat. So that I find interesting that they did not say which Republican mayor candidate to vote for up there, either Dan Boone or Derek Partee. Um, no, I, and by the way, I said Amanda. Her name is Amber. That's who I, that's who I spoke with, Amber. Um, but but, I, but again, I find that extremely interesting that uh, that they don't they tell you who not to vote for, 
they tell you who do who to vote for on the for town commission, but not mayor. And my stance is, you better pick someone. Whether it's Derek Partee, who I did the big expose on, or it's Dan Boone, who, by the way, I will say this, took an easy way out when asked about the report that I had on Derek Partee and the two town commission women, gave a non-answer answer about, well, it was a closed session. It doesn't matter. You're allowed to talk by a closed session. As a matter of fact, if I want to do an FOIA and get all the notes from the closed session, I totally can. That's how that happens. That closed session was 18 months ago. You're allowed to talk about it. That was 18 months ago. I could literally FOIA that, that closed session and get all the notes. But you held behind and tried to go behind. Well, you know, it was a closed session, so legally I'm uncomfortable. No. First of all, you can describe the atmosphere. You're allowed to say, oh, it was very tense. It was very tense. And second of all, I can get all the notes. Now, I'm sure there will be nothing in the notes that talked about all the things that were going on outside the general topics that were being discussed. But by North Carolina law, and we are talking 18 months after the fact, yeah, you're allowed to talk talk about it. And if you don't know that, that's a problem. And if you do know that, and to hide behind that, that was also a problem. Give an actual answer. Give an answer. I know you're trying to run for election and you're trying to run for mayor. And he's probably going to be really, really ticked off that I'm saying this. But, okay. I mean, that's just the way it is. And if I was a reporter, I'd be like, if I was there, well, sorry, sir. You're actually allowed to talk about it. It's been 18 months. I can get the meeting notes. You can do that with all closed sessions. You can describe the atmosphere, just like I said with Melinda Bales, the mayor. You don't have to talk about the contents, but you can talk about the atmosphere. Was it a tense atmosphere? By law, you don't want, it's like, oh, Brad, it was closed session. I can't talk about the atmosphere. I'm sorry, what? Do you know the law? Okay. So, yes, you can FOIA closed sessions and get the meeting notes. You can get those after a certain amount of time, and it's been 18 months, and I feel pretty good in saying that 18 months is enough time to FOIA closed session notes. Matter of fact, usually you can get them like two, two or three months after the fact. So I did think that was rather a weak non-answer. And, you know, the two candidates were moved. Well, okay. Great, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I, I thought that was, I, did, I didn't think that was strong. And that, that surprised me a little bit. But maybe he didn't want to say anything because he was actually sitting next to Derek Partee. What do they say? All, fair, all is fair in love and war and politics. So... I don't have a show tomorrow night because we've got the Charlotte FC playoffs. Is that correct? So we got Charlotte FC playoffs being played here tomorrow night on this station. But I will be back Thursday, and we're going to break down the school board situation. And actually, I'm going to have to have see if Tark can be moved until Wednesday or Thursday because we ain't got a show tomorrow. So I'll talk. Maybe Tark McCarthy will be in here Thursday.